0: Right, we are in lesson 59, the chronological Gospels. We've been making our way uh, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in many ways trying to mesh the Gospels together. But I have, for the last several teachings, been in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 7 through John 10:21 is unique to John. The other Gospel writers don't speak about this period, so it has had us largely parked in the Gospel of John for the last several teachings. Uh, Next week we'll begin to look at Luke, because he has some things that the other Gospel writers do not speak about, and it seems to be a pretty good place to put him, and I'm not quite sure on the pretty good place or not, but it's where we're going to end up putting them. And In fact, I was looking at my notes that I'd made months ago before I broke my neck, and I wrote on one of these teachings of Luke, I wrote on there, I think I missed this one. So if I did, I'm going to pick it up. Um, I'll be checking that one out. I just put a note down, I think I missed this but there is a section especially in Luke 15 that seems to be unique to Luke so we'll look at those over the next week or two and then we'll get into the timeline again of Matthew Mark Luke and John we'll have some periods where it's only John because he tells uh, of events that the other Gospels writers do not pick up but we do have from John In John chapter 7 verse 2 he tells us that it was the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 10 verse 22 he tells us that it's the Feast of Dedication so he time-stamped this portion of Scripture from a late fall into the our Christmas season and then the next major Jewish holiday would be Passover, which would be either in March or April. And so we are in that uh, from the Feast of Tabernacle, six to eight months before Jesus' death, uh, from the Feast of Hanukkah, three to four, maybe five months, but three to four months before Jesus' death. So we're really winding down, although there's a lot of Scripture left to go. And the Gospel of John for instance, there's still half the book to go, but we're winding down to that last few months of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. In this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, Jesus makes two of his seven I Am statements. I was listening to Pastor Chuck teach through this passage last week. Um, I would mentioned this before, that I personally have... Um, in many ways unplugged from social media podcast and such to where I don't listen to a lot of this stuff as much as I used to, partly because it seems to be a rehearsing of the same old thing. There's no new information, nothing new under the sun here. It keeps getting worse and worse. Got that. But there's times to where I may start listening to something and I think of... Um, possibly i don't want to hear that i don't want to listen to that and i'll just put on pastor chuck he's my pastor i listen to him teaching through the word but chuck said there was eight miracles mentioned in the gospel of john and i'm like eight i have seven in my notes and so he made me do a little searching and uh i don't know maybe chuck came up with an eighth one but you can even go online and google Miracles in the Gospel of John, and the number seven does come up, so I'm going to stick with that, and I didn't see Chuck list out the eight, so I'm not sure where he got the extra one from, um, so we'll just kind of let that one go, and I'll say seven, but of the seven, there are two I am statements, number three, John 10, 7, I am the door, number four, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And we also find one of the great teachings about the followers of Jesus being sheep and about Jesus being the shepherd. And, you know, we're not too familiar with not living really in a an agrarian society or a pastoral society as they lived. We're not too familiar with that. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in this area, and it's very industrialized and My dad was more familiar with it. Um, He used to, as a kid and a young uh, teenager, work the cornfields down in southern Illinois. So he was familiar with that kind of lifestyle. We're not so much, maybe some are, but we're not so much as familiar as it would be for those that Jesus was teaching when he talked about being the good shepherd, a very familiar topic to them. But also in Israel itself, because God talked about the shepherds of Israel in the Old Testament, we're going to be touching on a few of these passages, and often talking about the false shepherds, and ultimately in Zechariah, he'll speak about the Antichrist, Um as a shepherd himself, but not a good shepherd, of course. But in Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, Zechariah chapters 10, 11, and 13, all dealing with the topic of the shepherd. Sometimes they would refer to a good shepherd often in the Old Testament. God was talking about uh, the leaders in Israel being bad shepherds over the people and the responsibility that God had given to them. It's important to us because Jesus is contending with the religious rulers, uh, the Pharisees, by name, in chapter 9 and also in chapter 8. He has been contending with them, and themes keep uh, dropping back. Uh, So we've been 7, 8, 9, and now in chapter 10. And you kind of get a feeling that there were topics that continued to be picked up by either the Pharisees or by Jesus, even though it may have been on a different day, not necessarily all on the same day. As I said, we've moved from the Feast of Tabernacles all the way to the Feast of Dedication by the time we finish this portion of Scripture today. But they were not letting things go. And so Jesus, talking to the false shepherds who had placed themselves over the people of Israel, referring to their... Being spiritually blind by the close of chapter 9. And in fact, they said to Jesus, Are we blind also? In John 9:40. So they understood that Jesus was nailing them, saying that they were blind. And so then he picks up and he ta- starts talking to the people about what it means to have a good shepherd. And so we look at this passage. I titled it The Abundant Life in John 10, verses 1 through 21. We're going to see the shepherd, verses 1 through 16, the door, verses 7 through 10, the good shepherd, verses 11 through 16, and the power, verses 17 through 21. I'm going to read the first three verses and get us into our teaching. Uh, First, he talks about the sheep. In verses 1 through 3, says, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, and he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so this could have been called... Uh, titled this little section the false shepherds or the true shepherd Uh, but we have both false shepherds the true shepherd and the sheep all mentioned in this passage he began by saying amen amen and that is when we say amen that comes directly from the greek a transliteration of the greek word amen and um, it's doubled in the greek so sometimes in our bibles it may say Amen, 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 amen. Sometimes it may say, truly, truly. Or it could be a phrase of saying, I tell you the truth. So the Pharisees in 934 had cast out the man who had been blind, but that was healed by Jesus. And by the way, I kind of knew this and forgot about it, but Tony sent me a little news piece that was on Fox News of the pool of Siloam. Uh, we learned about him last week, the blind man having clay put in his eyes by Jesus. Jesus saying, go and wash in the pool, which means sent. and they've discovered this pool. And I, I watched the video twice this morning of the news headline of this. They discovered it, and it was actually south of Temple Mount about a half mile away, and they are, uh, when they say they're re-earthing the road from the Pool of Siloam to the temple, it means it's all underground. So they're going back to the street level of Jesus' day, making this tunnel going down to the very rock. And we, have Lily and I, have walked this tunnel that is on the western wall, where they've done a similar thing went down to street level of Jesus' day where you can walk a portion of the Western Wall that is all underground and then come up in Antonio's Fortress. So we've walked that tunnel. And they're making another one that will go from Temple Mount to the Pool of Siloam. And the pool that meant scent, the pool itself, they said they believe it was the size of two Olympic pools. And so it was a pretty large Area, and they're hoping to unearth it all. And they have like eight steps opened up. they got a lot of work to do. Um, So in Israel, they had said in the news story, which is always cool in that area, there's a lot of stuff to discover. They had a broken water main, and so they sent out the guys to fix the broken water main, but at the same time, they sent out the guys to make sure that nothing of history was going to be uh, destroyed in the process of repairing that water main, and once again, they discovered something. It's been discovered. So, Jesus had sent the man who is blind, put clay in his eyes. We learned about this last week. Sent him to that pool, the pool that is called Scent. He could see. The Pharisees couldn't handle a once blind man walking around testifying that Jesus had healed him and now proclaiming that he is a prophet. So they excommunicated him, revealing really that they did not care about the sheep. They did not care about the people who God had placed under their care. So sheepfold was a strong enclosure that kept the sheep safe from thieves, from predators. The Greek word used here is frequently referred to a courtyard. So this could refer to a courtyard in front of somebody's home. If it was in uh, a barren place, uh, it could be made up of thorns or brambles or shrubs with a single opening. And here's the point. No matter if it was made of a stone wall or made of uh, a hedge of thorns, They had a single opening where the shepherd and the sheep could gain access. Anybody else coming in any other way, Jesus said, they are thieves and robbers. And although the religious rulers of Jesus' day saw themselves as shepherds over the people of Israel, many of them were false shepherds who were destroying and scattering the flock of Christ. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 3 speaks of the false shepherds. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my sheep. You have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. You're not going to take care of my sheep? And God said, I'm going to take care of you. And he didn't say that in a positive way to them. So the voice, verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger." Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Though several flocks could be kept in a sheepfold, the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. So there are several flocks, several different shepherds. But when the shepherd would come and call his sheep, or even by the way he would call his sheep, the sheep would respond to the voice of the shepherd. And the sheep. Even had special names, and Jesus said he knows them by name. And contrary to popular opinion, sheep aren't dumb. They know who feeds them, protects them, cares for them. Sheep can distinguish the shepherd's voice. In John 10:27, and this will be on a different day, but Jesus will pick up this theme again. He'll say... In John 10:27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And truly, there are hirelings, there are false shepherds uh, during the days of the Old Testament, at the time of Christ, um, and today, it continues to this day. During the time of the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 34, verses 20 through 24, now God speaks to them these false shepherds. He says behold I myself judge between the fat and the lean sheep. So he really talks to them as they really were. They were just sheep. But they some of the sheep were had authority over the other sheep. Just like uh, we studied a book at men and women's breakfast a couple of years ago and uh based on psalm 23 and there is a hierarchy among the sheep and you know that sheep become rams so that hierarchy develops through the battles that take place whether male or female there is a hierarchy and so he speaks about that in ezekiel 34 20 through 24 behold i myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted, all the weak ones with your horns, scattered them abroad. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God said, and He told them in the Old Testament, "I'm going to establish one shepherd over you, my servant David." Well, He's talking messianic there. He's talking about the Messiah, and Jesus will now claim to be that shepherd. So there were hirelings and false shepherds in Jesus' day. Jesus warned them in Matthew 7:15, "Beware of false prophets." Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but outwardly there are ravenous wolves. And there's a danger of that in the church age as well. Paul wrote about this in Galatians 2.4. He said, and this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out the liberty in which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter 2. 1, he said, Therefore they were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction." So there are a lot of shepherds we read about in Scripture. I listed out a few from the Old Testament. Abel, Abraham, Lot, Isaac. I'm not going to keep using my fingers. There's too many. I'll run out of fingers. But Lot, Isaac, and perhaps his wife, Rebekah, Laban, and his sons, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Jacob's 12 sons, Moses, Zephorah, and her six, six sisters, David and Solomon's unnamed love of the Song of Solomon. All of these in Scripture were shepherds of Abel, the Bible's first recorded shepherd. He was obedient to God's call upon his life. Even though he had a short life, he, was, he found that abundant life that Jesus will speak about here in John 10. In Hebrews 11,4 it tells us, By faith, Abel. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though and through it he being dead still speaks, and the testimony of Abel still speaks unto us today. As for David, he's the famed shepherd boy who became Israel's shepherd king. In Psalm 78, 70 through 72, it says, He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people in Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. He guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Today in America, uh, we find that the future of our faith in America is changing as far as the Christian cha- faith is concerned. The demographics here in the United States from Pew Research. Uh, this is from 2022 of September, so uh, not uh, just a year old this research came out. Pew Research Center has a measuring of religious identity since 2007. And they use the wording of the question, what is your present religion, if any? And it's a lot different, they say, from 2007. Since 2007, the percentage of adults who say that they are atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, in the center survey, has grown from 16% to 29%, nearly doubling. And during that same time, the share of U.S. adults who identify as Christian has fallen from 78% to 63%. There's a lot more in that survey, but I believe this is happening because in our churches, we have people who have been following false shepherds. They don't truly care for the sheep or God's word. They're trying to heap up riches after themselves. Jesus would say of those who are like that, they are thieves and robbers. And have you answered the shepherd's call in your life? Are you instead following thieves and robbers? So he goes on to speak about the door in verses 7 through 10. In 7 through 9, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus moves from being the shepherd to being the door of the sheep. And he continues to call the religious rulers of his day, not all of them, but the majority of them at this time. He called them thieves and robbers, whom many of the sheep were refusing to follow. You remember, we read last week, they'd already told their sheep, if you recognize Jesus as the Messiah, we're going to kick you out. And they kicked out the man who had been born blind, who could now see. So their answer was excommunication to those who would go after the Messiah but the people were attracted by Jesus and many people were following Jesus and it was causing them troubles in the Old Testament there were shepherds who were not thieves and robbers so Here's something, this is allegorical, Jesus talking about being the door, talking about being, he is the good shepherd, but using this allegory in this sense, we can't break it down too far. It's like when I taught through the parables, I had explained to you that when Jesus spoke a parable, he usually had one main point in mind that he wanted to get across to the people. And sometimes the problems that we might have as preachers teachers or maybe as individuals studying the Bible, we try to get too many points out of a parable that Jesus was kind of saying, I only wanted you to kind of know one thing out of this. And here we can't break this down too far either in the sense where Jesus say, saying, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Well, we know that they were good shepherds. We know that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, many of the judges, the priests, the prophets, they would have been classified as good shepherds over the people of Israel. They were not perfect shepherds. Jesus would not only be the good shepherd, but the perfect shepherd. But there were good people that God had placed over them, the greatest of the kings, no doubt being that of David himself yet all the shepherds who came before Jesus were at that time looking forward to the Messiah's coming. In fact, the very first mention of the shepherd, as far as a messianic term, is when Jacob is blessing Joseph, blessing his 12 sons before his death. But speaking of Joseph, he says this in Genesis 49 verses 22 through 24. And this is the first time we get uh, the shepherd and also the stone of Israel connected to the Messiah. So Genesis 49:22 through24, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by its well. His branches overrun the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, hated him, And his bow remained in strength and his arm of his hand made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And then it says, from there, so from the mighty God of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So there were many shepherds and many good ones in the Old Testament. They were not perfect, but all were looking forward to the coming Messiah, the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And Jesus is gaining great following among the people while he was on earth because they could see whether Jew, Samaritan or Gentile, they could see the hypocrisy of their political and religious rulers, but they did not see that with Jesus. In Matthew 23, 1 through 3, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. And therefore, whatever they tell you to do, do and observe. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So they taught the law of Moses properly. And so Jesus said, observe and do those things, but don't watch them. (laughs) They say it, but they're not doing it. But Jesus was different. He not only spoke God's truth. He lived God's truth before them. Jesus was recognized as the true shepherd. In Psalm 80, verse 1, Give ear, O O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim and shine forth. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Give ear. So Jesus, he promises his salvation and his provision. Did you notice that? those who he calls out by names, those who he calls there in verses 7 through 9, he says, first of all, he will be saved, that's salvation, and he will go in and out and find pasture, that's provision. So Jesus speaks about salvation and provision. So it really speaks about that idiom here of Living and conducting ourselves to go out and in. We're doing life. We're living life in a community. But we enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ, the door that we can have, as we'll see in a, a few minutes, that abundant life that Jesus promises for us. So we're not only saved, but it speaks about how we conduct ourselves as believers while we're in this world. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. In Ephesians 2, 8, it tells us through him we have both access by one spirit to the Father. Through him, through Jesus, we have access. And Jesus said in verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I hope that verse is underlined in your Bible. I was just checking to see if I had it underlined here. It is. Especially the second half. That's what I have underlined. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it More abundantly, more importantly, I hope that you have that verse memorized. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We saw in verse 9, Jesus promised his sheep salvation and provision. And in contrast, the thief, they prey upon the sheep. Their desire is to steal the sheep, to kill the sheep, destroy the sheep. These were the false shepherds of Israel, who did not truly care for the sheep, but saw them as a commodity. They asked, the false shepherds, how can the sheep benefit me, rather than how can I benefit the sheep? Ezekiel 34, 1-4, again speaking against the false shepherds of Israel. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesied against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that was driven away, nor sought that which was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. But the nature of Jesus, to bring life to those who look to him in faith, therefore the sheep receive the attention of the shepherd, who is also the door, and that is Jesus. Jeremiah 33 Verses 6 and 8 says, Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Jesus, the good shepherd, he cares for the sheep. He knows them by name. He heals them. He cleanses them. We are in good hands when we're in the Good Shepherd. I found this. It was written by John Bunyan. Those of you who know the name of John Bunyan, most connected to his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. But he had an article that he wrote called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He wrote this in 1678. There people today that think that old knowledge is not good knowledge. But listen to what he had to say. One paragraph from that writing. The Lord did also lead me into the mystery of the union with the Son of God, that I was joined to him, that I was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and now that a sweet word to me. By this also was my faith in him, as my righteousness the more confirmed to me. For if he and I were one, then his righteousness was mine, his merits mine, his victory also mine. Now could I see myself in heaven and earth at once, in heaven by my Christ, by my head, by my righteousness in life, though on earth by my body or person truly in jesus we have life more abundantly having put on the lord jesus christ as it says in romans 13:14. and it's only through faith in jesus that we can have this life more abundantly so the good shepherd and the hirelings verses 11 through 13 we continue I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling is not the shepherd, the one who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them, the sheep, and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So Jesus, being the good shepherd, but the hireling and the contrast between the two the good shepherd and the hireling and besides thieves and besides being robbers the shepherds had to guard against uh, the wild animals the beasts who had come to try to take the sheep they wanted nothing better than lamb chops for dinner and the religious rulers were their hirelings they didn't care about nor did they really own the sheep and when danger came upon them and it was their lives versus the sheep, the sheep always died. This is actually speaking about the Antichrist, but Zechariah 11:17, woe to the worthless shepherd who leads the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered and his right eye shall be totally blinded. But the beginning of that, woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. And yet Jesus, the good shepherd, not only owns the sheep, he willingly gives his life for the sheep. Think about this. That for a flock, if the shepherd's, shepherd dies, that flock is in trouble. And yet for the church, the shepherd dying speaks life to us. In Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, now may the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory and forever. Amen. Thee. Shepherd of the sheep that great shepherd of the sheep the good shepherd Jesus Christ his death meant life for us 14 through 16 we continue in this passage he says i am the good shepherd and i know my sheep and i and am known by them as the father knows me even so i know the father and i laid on my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So the good shepherd, once again, he not only owns the sheep by right of redemption, he knows the sheep, he knows them by name, he laid down his life for the sheep, he gathers the sheep, another flock, the Gentiles that both Jews and Gentiles should be one flock. It's Jesus, as Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we have been healed. For you were all like sheep going astray, but have now come and returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Just as Jesus had this intimate relationship with his Father, so too will his sheep have that intimate relationship with him that he might bring us to the Father. In John 17:3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the Good Shepherd not only gave his life, But he resurrected from the grave that he might lovingly give his sheep eternal life. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love him because he first loved us. This abundant life is not merely something about what is going to take place in heaven, but also here and now while we're on this earth. Jesus being the good shepherd Kalos is the Greek word translated as good here. It's a word that's used to describe being noble, wholesome, good, beautiful, in contrast to the wicked, mean, foul, unloving, uh, false shepherds that Israel had known in their day. It speaks about the Lord's innate goodness. I am the good shepherd. It speaks about his righteousness. It speaks about his beauty. And as the shepherd of the sheep... He is one who protects, guides, and nurtures his flock. And may I ask you, who's protecting, who's guiding, who's nurturing your life? Is it the good shepherd, or is it a hireling? So the power, And kind of close out this section, verses 17 through 21, but first looking at 17 and 18. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. So as Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to a close, he taught more and more about his sacrifice coming to the cross. Five times in this passage, he says, The Good Shepherd... Gives his life for his sheep, verse 11. I lay down my life for the sheep, verse 15. I lay down my life, verse 17. I lay it down myself, verse 18. And again in verse 18, I have the power to lay it down. But he also had the power to take it up again. Now, I could have the power to lay down my life, but I do not have the power to take it up again. Once it's down on this earth, it's down. But not for Jesus from the beginning Jesus his offering his life as a sacrifice for our sins was always part of God's plan in what is known as the first gospel it's found in Genesis 315 where God cursing Satan the serpent said I will put in enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And that Messiah will have authority over the serpent is what that is saying. Ultimately speaking of Jesus is known as the first gospel. Hebrews 2.9 tells us, But Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone." But Jesus was not an unwilling sacrifice. He said, I have the power to lay it down and to take it up again. In Titus 2:13 and 14, Paul said, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good work. Jesus received this command from his father that we might be saved and that he would lose nothing according to John 6:38 through 40 but should raise it up from the last day in verse 40 it says John 6:40 and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. But there was division about Jesus. Not surprising. There's still division today concerning Jesus. 19 through 21, it says, Therefore there was division among them, the Jews, because of these sayings. Many of them says he has a demon. He's mad. Others say, uh, they said he has a demon he's mad why do you listen to him the other said these are not the words of one who has a demon can a demon open the eyes of the blind so again picture this the blind man's still there this is still connecting so the division we've seen it in john 720 john 848 john 852 and here in john 10 20, they said, he has a demon, while others called him a healer, a man who had come from God, John 3, 2. Last week, we saw the majority of the religious rulers, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, had a progression of accusations against Jesus. This was the progression that we looked at last week. First In John 8.41, they accused him of being born in fornication. Second, in John 8.48, they accused him of being a Samaritan. Again, in John 8.48, and also in verse 52, that he had a demon. And then in 9.24, of his being a sinner... Yet others saw in him, in John 1, 1, John 1, 14, that he is the Word. In John 1, 18, 34 and 49, that he is the Son, the Son of God. In John 1, and 36, he is the Lamb, the Lamb of God. In John 4, 25, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. In John 4, 42, he is Savior. In John 6, 14, he is the prophet. And we can add in our text today that he is the door and that he is the good shepherd. But what I was reading to you was what others were saying about Jesus. Like Nicodemus in John 3, 2 said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who have come from God, because no man can do these things unless God is with him. And today there continues to be a variety of opinions concerning Jesus. Muslims recognize Jesus as a significant person, one to be revered, called a prophet, an apostle of God, but they do not believe he is any more than this. Judaism denies that Jesus is the Messiah. They also deny the virgin birth and the resurrection of, from the grave Hinduism believe that Jesus qualifies as a Hindu saint because of his life and teaching and believe that Jesus is one of the many gods and Buddhists see Jesus as someone who possessed a correct perspective on life in his teaching to help others While Jesus is seen as a wise teacher, they do not see him as divine. There are a number of opinions concerning Jesus, but all of that does not matter as far as what other people believe. The thing that matters, what do you believe concerning Jesus? In Christianity, Jesus is the central figure of our faith, the second person of the triunity, the Son of God, God incarnate. He is Messiah, who was foretold in the Old Testament, who came to offer his life upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, offering forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who will accept him as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what other people are saying about Jesus. What matters is what do you say? What do you believe? Are you following thieves and robbers? Are you following false shepherds? Are you following the good shepherd, the door, the one who gives his life for his sheep, the one who knows you by name? Have you received the abundant life that comes through faith in the good shepherd? And Father, we pray that that is true for each one of us here in this place today. For those who may hear me on radio or through the video stream, or maybe they're going to hear this message at another time, I pray, Lord, that we know you as Savior and Lord, that we know what it means to walk in life more abundantly because of the salvation that we have received from you through your work on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the door and that you are the good shepherd. And no man can come to the Father except through You. I pray, Lord, that we all know that and have received the gift of salvation, that we might not only be saved, but have provision that we can go out and in and know the true fellowship of the Son, of the Spirit, and of the Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I do pray that God will bless you and keep you, that His face will shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.